0: God comes through in amazing ways and sometimes ways we don't think about but if we're patient and we wait God works, us, works those things out and he helps us to do the things that we need, right? It's not always in our timing. It's not always what we would want to have happen. But God definitely God definitely does those things. And that's what our lesson is going to be about God miraculously supplies the needs of his people. But then it's also about how we as people tend to forget about what God did for us yesterday. What are you going to do for me today? I want it now, and I want it the way I want it, right? And so as we're starting off this new year looking through this, it's just a way to remind us that God is there, and, and his, his love for us never goes away. His provision for us never goes away. But we need to recognize that. And recognize that God gives us what he knows we need, not necessarily what we want. Or in the timing that we want. We have to work through God with that. So we are in Exodus. Um, we're going to start off in chapter 16. And so where we're at is the the Israelites have escaped Egypt. And now they're out in the wilderness, right? And this is more deserty kind of wilderness um, is really where they're at. But there's not much out there. And these are people that have been used to living... They're kind of like city folk, right? They, they lived in their villages and their towns, and they worked, and they had jobs and all that kind of stuff. And now God has rescued them from slavery, but now they're out in the wilderness, right? So has anybody ever camped with somebody who's never been out in the woods? Did they like it their first time out? No. I, when I went through survival training in the military, um, they put us in groups of five. There was one guy from Georgia who had been hunting and done a little bit. Um, there was another guy. I think he was... I remember where, somewhere in South Carolina had never really been out and then a guy from Philadelphia and a guy from New York and the guy from Philly knew those two guys had never spent the night out and we we were out with pretty much nothing they gave you part of a parachute and you have to make shelters and do all that kind of stuff it was a huge deal for them I, I grew up going out in the woods and camping and and hunting and fishing and building fires and that just that was all the stuff that I knew it was very very hard for them and this is very very hard for the Hebrew people and so I, I tried really hard not to, but there were things, and I have lots of stories I could tell, but we, we don't want to stray too far. I tried hard to let them do things, but at some point, you get to a point where are like, okay, I have to take care of this because otherwise it's not going to work out very well. Um, and that's kind of what the position Moses is in, right? Because Moses has his faith, and he's leading them, and they're doing these things. And so as they get out into the desert, they don't really have any water. And so they come to a place um, called Mara, and there's water there, but it's bitter. It's not good to drink, right? And And they're... And they're frustrated and they're upset because they haven't had water for a couple days and they need to drink, right? We all need to have water to drink. And it's not just the people, it's all their livestock. And so God tells Moses to take this tree, this piece of wood, and put it in the water and it turns it sweet and they can drink it, okay? And so this is where we're going to pick up the story is, is after that. And uh, we're, we're in Exodus 16 and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. And this is how the Lord's provision tests his people's obedience. Then they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month, after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So here we are, right? And the the Israelites, and it it says their 15th day of the second month. They've They've been out of Egypt for about 30 days now. They've been at this for about a month. And so... This is hard, right? They're traveling. They're, li- they're trying to live off the land. They're having to really look for water and food and those things. And they're not finding much. And so they're pretty unhappy. Um, even though God has done all these things for them, right? He-, he rescued them out of slavery. They got to see the plagues. Part of the Red Sea they went through, watched the Egyptian army get killed. God's already provided them water when they needed it. But they're still pretty unhappy <clears throat> with what their situation is. And so um, they do what people do is they're complaining, right? And they're, they're complaining to Moses and Aaron, and they're accusing Moses and Aaron of trying to take them out into the wilderness to kill them, right? And they're saying, why didn't, why didn't, they just, you know, why didn't God just kill us back in Egypt? Why didn't you leave us alone and everything was fine, right? And people are that way, because what, what really are the people wanting met? What do they really need? Food and water, right? They're physical things. Those physical things were met in Egypt, right? But what were their living conditions in Egypt? Slaves. Slaves. But our human nature is, we want right, to have things be physically comfortable for us, right? Because that's in the physical, the here and now. Even though spiritually, it may be horrible for us spiritually, right? That slavery and where they were was not where God wanted them. So God is leading them where he wants them to go. But they don't want to go because they're going away from the comfortable part, right? And I think that's a lesson we need to learn here is that God's going to provide, and it's going to be very different, but he's going to give you what you need to be able to serve him in the way that he's calling you to serve him. And so they're, they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron, and, and they're mad at them, right? But really, who are they mad at? If, if you step back and really look at the picture, who are they complaining against? God. God, right? Because it's God who's who's giving Moses and Aaron direction and leading them, and it's God providing. But Moses is the one who's right there, right? So who's going to get yelled at? Moses. So Moses is having to deal with, with a lot of this. Um, I think that's right. It, it, Carol made a very good point. We... We often forget the things that God has done for us, and we're looking at what he's not doing for us that we want now. And we have to remember when we start to think that way, and we think about why isn't God doing this for me? I've prayed for this for years, and I want this to happen, and it should happen, and it's a good thing. But God, in in his understanding of all things, knows it's not time for that right now. And we all have those things, right? We all have those things that that we desperately want to happen right now, and we know it's a good thing, and, and we know... But God knows something else that we're not aware of, and so he's working us through that at that time. And that's what's happening with the people, right? And, and it, what they were in slavery, right? But if you were just to look at this little piece here, what does it sound like Like Egypt was like for the Hebrew people, if you just looked at this little bit of scripture? Oh, it, was it was wonderful. They had all the food they wanted. They could eat till they were full. They were sitting around. But was it really that way? no they were slaves they weren't in control of their lives they had to work very hard they probably had enough food to eat but I doubt there was an abundance right and so they're thinking back about how good they, they remember the good times though they don't remember all of the hard things and it, it may not have really been very good food but right now where they have much less they're really pretty unhappy and, and they're not really they're not really willing to trust God and, and to, to believe in him right but what, what does God do for them what does God say he's going to do in verse 4 Right, he's going to send the bread. He says, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Right? So God still loves his people. Are the people doing what they're supposed to do? No, they're complaining and they're being bitter and they're, they're arguing with Moses and Aaron. But God is still going to do what God's going to do. God still has, has mercy and God still loves them very much. Right? And there's a, you know, if you look in the Bible, there are several different places where it tells us that God is, is slow to anger know, is, is abundant in compassion and, and has lots of mercy. One of those places, if you look in Psalm 86... Verse 5, this, this really describes, this This is a prayer of David, and, and it's about, you know, he's asking for supplication, and, for, and he's trusting in God. So 86.5 says, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Then in verse 15, it says, but you, O Lord, are God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. And that's really true about God. If you think in your own life of different things when, when you've been disobedient and you're not really following the the path God wants you to follow, God does have He is slow to anger, right? He gives you lots of chances. Because God, right here, I mean He could do anything He wanted, right? But He doesn't strike them down, He doesn't send a plague, He doesn't, you know, He He knows what they need, and so He's going to give that to them. And He's gonna do that in a very miraculous way. Um And God tells him a little bit about what He's gonna do, right? He says they're gonna go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. So what, what is this test that God's giving them when, we, when we're looking at the bread that rains down from heaven? Trust. Trust because how much does he say he's going to give them? Enough for, each day. Enough for each day, right? You're not going to get a week's supply or a month or whatever. You're going to go out every day and I'm going to give you what you need. That's what God's telling them. That what we ask give us this day? That's the Lord's prayer, right? And we say, well, right. And we, we as people worry a lot, don't we? We always, we always worry about the things that are coming. And, and hopefully as we, as we mature as Christians, as we gain more faith and we see God work in our life and we have more trust, we trust in him more so we don't have to worry knowing that he'll provide us what we need. Maybe not what we want, but he'll provide us what we need so we can serve him in the way that he calls us to serve. And, and even though um, you know, the people are grumbling and, and they're failing and they're not doing what they're supposed to do, God is still gracious and loves them and still provides for them. So we're going to... Um, move on in, in Exodus 16. I'm going to pick up in verse 13. i read 13 to 30. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat. You shall take an omer apiece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until morning, And it bred worms and became foul, and and Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat, but when the sun grew hot, it would melt. Now on the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, then he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over put aside to keep until morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered, And it did not become foul, nor was there any worm in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. It came about on the seventh day that some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? See, the Lord has given you Sabbath, therefore he gives you bread for two days on the sixth day. Remain every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. <coughs> so it's, it's pretty interesting here as we, as we read through, right? God's pretty clear in his instruction, right? He says, go out, gather each of you what you need for a day, which is an omer of this, this manna, and take it and eat it. And you need to eat all of it, right? And don't, don't get more than you're supposed to. Make sure you get enough. And don't leave it. And then on the sixth day, get twice as much because I want you to rest on the seventh day. I don't want you to do anything. I want you to have a day of rest. But, um, you know, and and manna in Hebrew means what is this, right? Because this is, you know, if you think about it, it's pretty amazing what God did. Is it literally, you know, how many of you use use the, the phrase bread from heaven or manna from heaven? I do, right? When something unexpected comes in your life and that came from God, that's what I think of, is this miraculous way that God fed his people, right? And God has that power. God is, um, you know, one of the characteristics of God is that he is omnipotent. So what what does omnipotent mean? All-powerful, right? He can literally do anything that he wants. And that's one of the essential doctrines from the Gospel Project. And so I'm going to read that. So God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. There is nothing God cannot do so long as it does not contradict his own nature or law. God has power and authority over the universe he created from the largest solar system to the smallest particle. Affirming that God is all-powerful does not mean that God can sin, since that would go against his perfect moral nature. As Christians, we rest in the belief that God who has all power is good, and we gain great comfort by knowing that an all-powerful God is working for our good and joy. And so it really does take an all-powerful God to make this happen, right? Because does God do this just for a week or a day or for a month or so? How how long does the manna come from heaven every morning? Forty years. Forty years. The entire time. The Hebrews wander in the desert, God is feeding them with manna, the bread from heaven. Right? Now, think about that. I mean, what if you just had cornflakes every day to eat? Would that get old? It probably would. We we, especially as Americans, are very blessed in living in the land that we do, we have the tremendous variety of things that we get to eat. There are many people in the world that don't have that variety. They barely have enough to eat, and and they're eating, you know, kind of a ground-up corn gruel type thing, or they're eating rice or they have enough to sustain themselves, but they don't have you know, the kitchens and the pantries that we do. Um, and so God is going to sustain them through this miracle called manna that he's providing for them, right? And when we start out, what else does God provide them? Because they, they didn't just want bread to eat, they wanted meat. How did God provide them meat? Quail. quail. How many people here have hunted quail? Are they, pretty, are they, are they anything like blue grouse? No. How many people have hunted blue grouse? Blue grouse are amazingly unaware of their surroundings. (laughs) You can shoot at them, and they just sit in the tree, and they don't go anywhere. Quail are very flighty. They're skittish. They will not sit there. And it it tells us that, you know, in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, right? So there are so many quail, and they fly into camp. and And they come, and they light, and the people get them and kill them and cook them and eat them. Quail or not, they are not very big, right? They're like about the size of a dove, maybe a little smaller, a little fatter. But yeah, you got to have, but this says, you know, they covered the camp, right? So God provides them with the meat they're asking for, right? A very unusual way, right? And, and something that, you know, I thought about, what's traveling with the people? When they left, they took all of their livestock, right? So when they were in Egypt, I'm sure that they had cattle and sheep and goats that they would butcher to eat, right? Why do you suppose they're not butchering and eating them now I mean if you were starving would you and you had a goat with you and you needed food would you kill the goat and eat it I would I mean so it's it's interesting why they're they're not really trusting that God's going to keep providing either because they do have food with them right they have cattle and livestock that they could eat but it doesn't say well right they're wanting meat but they're wanting God to provide it even though maybe he already had and it's been following them around you know who knows what they're thinking the Bible doesn't tell us maybe they're they're still though in a way not trusting God right because they're thinking that when we get to the promised land, I want to have, have a big herd of cattle or I want to have a big flock of sheep. So I don't want to eat them now. I want to have them when we get there. right? Because they may all be thinking. They know they're being led to the promised land. They think they're going to go maybe be right there. Well, because of their behavior, it's going to take a very long time. And most of these folks, will find out, don't actually ever make it because of their behavior. But God provides for them in this amazing way. How long did the quail come? Um, you know, here it just says the one night. Later on as we go, they complain and grumble again and... God sends quail, but he sends a lot of quail. It's always amazing to me. When, you, when we get to that part, we should cover that. But it's like, I forget how many feet deep of quail. It just is amazing. Three feet? Two cubits. Two cubits. A journey. That's a yard. Yeah. So think about that, okay? That's awesome the first day, but about the third day, that's yeah. going to stink, right? Anyway, we'll get to that. And, that, and God is trying to, he's, he's trying to, he's testing his people here, right? Now, how did they do in their test with the manna? Not so good, right? Because they're told to go get an Omer. Does anybody know how big an Omer is? It's a, it's a measure of volume. About. It's, um, it's 2.3 liters. It's, it's 0.6 gallons, which uh, two quarts is half a gallon. It's about half a gallon. So think about half a gallon, right? I mean, if you're going to have a big bowl of cereal, that's kind of about it's what last that is. You all day. Right. It's got to last you all day. Such- right. So they could prepare it in some different ways. I always kind of think of maybe oatmeal, right? You can do a lot of things with oatmeal, they could do a lot of things with, with, with manna. And, but what's the amazing thing that God does is he tells them, and he's trying to help them learn, you just need an omer a day. And when they went out, some gathered too much, right, and some gathered too little. But what does it say when they went in to measure what they gathered? Everybody had one omer, right? Had enough. enough, and it was one omer. Even though somebody thought, you know, I'm a big guy, I've got to have three omers. If that's what they gathered or what they thought, by the time they got back, when they measured it, they had their one omer. You know, someone who's nervous and doesn't know, well, what if I don't want to eat it? I don't want to waste it. And they only got a little bit. When they get, everybody has an omer, right? So they didn't do so well, but God makes it work out. And I think part of that was for them to learn an omer's enough, right? You're going to be okay eating an omer of manna. Now on the sixth day, they are, well, and, and so they do that. So the first day they go out and they're told to what? Eat it all or save some for later or in case God doesn't bring it. Supposed to eat it all and not save it, right? What happens to those who were who not fully trusting it was going to rain bread from heaven tomorrow and they saved a little bit? What happened to it? It was nasty, moldy, had worms and bugs in it, right? So again, God's saying, no, no, no. I said, get an omer, fix it how you want it, and eat it. Tomorrow, I'm going to give you another omer, right? And this still works, right? So now they have six days, and hopefully they're learning that. But we get to the sixth day, and they're told to gather twice as much. And that's because God is, is teaching them about the Sabbath, about keeping one day holy, Right? And that comes all the way back, if we, if we go all the way back to Genesis in the beginning. God made everything in six days, and he rested on the seventh, right? He wants his people to do the same thing. So is God telling them, I want you to rest on the seventh, but you have to sacrifice and not eat on the seventh day because I want you to do that. Does God do that? He provides for the seventh day on the sixth, right? So God's not asking them to sacrifice in that way. He's just saying, be obedient. Don't go out. Don't go do anything. I want you to worship me. I want this to be a day of rest, right? And, and so people go out and get that. But what happens on the seventh day? Does everybody stay in their house like they're supposed to? No. Some people go out and look. Is there any manna? No, because God said there wouldn't. But what's the other miraculous thing that happens? Because they fix it, right? Because he tells them to boil it or bake it, whatever you're going to do, to make it so you want to eat it on, on the Sabbath, do it on the sixth day, and everybody does that. What happens overnight? It doesn't spoil, it doesn't spoil right? And so if it does on weekdays, but not the night before, the, it's just one of those God things, right? So when you look at that, you have to. I would hope that they would understand that God has set this up in this way, showing them what it is that they're supposed to do. But you know, we don't always get that. Sometimes we have to go through that. We have to work through that. We have to hurt. We have to have it. You know, get wormy and nasty or whatever to have, to, to see God do that. But what God's trying to show them is that He will provide them what they need when they need it. And so the, the next part we're going to look at is the kind of and we'll get into it later because it uses stiff-necked a lot. But they're, they're kind of hard-headed, stiff-necked people. So God does these things for them. And then God's going to ask them to move on, to continue through the wilderness. So we're going to go to, um, we're going to start in Exodus 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. And we're going to talk about how, you know, the Lord is still gracious even though his people demand things from him and are not obedient. So picking up at Exodus 17, verse 1. Then all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin, according to the command of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do to this people? A little more and they will stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He named the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? And so as we're moving along, and, and they get to see that God is faithful in providing for them, right? And so in my mind, they're starting to almost get to the point where they want to take advantage of, of God. Because they start demanding things, right? So, so they're moving where God told them to go, right? In chapter 1, it says, you know, they, according to the command of the Lord, and they can't refit him. So they're following what the Lord's telling them to do, but there's no water there, right? So God will provide for them, and there may not be water there, but God at some point is going to give them water because they're still thinking that, that what's going to happen to them? They're going to die, right? Why did you do this to me only to kill me off? Why didn't you just kill me back there and make it easier? Well, the truth is, does God really want to destroy his people? No. He could have anywhere along the way, he could have destroyed his people, but he chooses to keep them, even though they're being disobedient, even though they're not following what he wants them to follow, God still loves them and is still willing to work with them And wants them to move along the path he wants them to move along. But the people are starting to make demands, right? Because when they were at Marah, they saw how God turned the water from being bitter where they couldn't drink it to being sweet. They're seeing how he's providing them manna from day to day. He provided them quail, so they're like, well, I'm thirsty. I want to drink. Give me water now. That's pretty much what they're saying. They're demanding this of God, right? And that's why Moses is saying, why are you arguing? Why are you putting the Lord to the test? Because God doesn't really want them to die. He doesn't want their livestock to die. He didn't bring them out to the wilderness for them to die of thirst. They're just not being patient. And so you know, they need to work on, on really learning and understanding what it is that God wants them to do and to, be, and to be patient. And so Moses at this time, how do you think Moses is feeling? Because he's leading these people. Probably overwhelmed? Frustrated. Frustrated, definitely. Unappreciated? <laughs> Unappreciated? He's probably completely stuck. up. he probably doesn't want his job anymore, but he knows that God has chosen him to lead. And Moses has been an active part of it. And it's not like the people haven't watched this, but God has worked through Moses, and God is communicating with Moses, and so Moses knows what he's supposed to do. And just like when when we have something happen in our life where God acts in a way that we've prayed for, and we see that, and we, we have that very strong connection at that time with God, and then we see other people who are wandering from God, and we go, man, what is your problem? Don't you get it? Just... God wants to just do this, right? Well, those people have to go through whatever experience God wants them to go through to get them to the point where they trust in him much more and they will give him his faith and they'll trust him for their daily bread and they'll follow in the path they want him to go. And so that's where Moses is at, you know, as he's crying out to the Lord. But, but what, is, what does he say? He says, you know, does, and, and Moses is right. The people are, are angry and frustrated and thirsty, right? Really, what should the people do? What, what do we do when there's something that we really need that we really want God's intervention for? pray. There's nothing in here that says that people could not pray and worship and try to honor God and, and to beseech him for what they need. Their go-to is to go yell at Moses. Right, right? Right, they did. They're, they're demanding and they're, they're cross and they're arguing. And so Moses rightly turns to God. Moses knows God is in control and that God will take care of them in the way that God sees fit. But I think it's very telling when Moses asks God, what shall I do to this people? <laughs> Moses is thinking, all right, somebody needs a SWAT, right? I mean, he is unhappy. He is starting to say, these people need to have some kind of punishment or consequence because they're totally, they're not treating God with respect, right? They're demanding all these things instead of honoring God, looking back on what he's done for them and thanking God for what he's done and and praying for their needs. But God, again, doesn't choose to strike the people, right? He doesn't choose to afflict the people. He doesn't make them go another two days without water, he talks to Moses, he says, okay, let's do this. So he tells Moses, what does he tell Moses to get? The staff. This is the same staff that Moses used when he was in Egypt, that for all the miracles, he touched the Nile and turned it to blood. This is the same staff that Moses raised. You know, and God's power is acting through the staff. So this is a symbol of God's power. And so he has them, and they take the elder, and they go to this rock at Horeb. And God tells Moses, strike the rock with the staff, and I'll provide water. And that's what happens. God provides water out of the rock for the people. How many people are there roaming around? And that's the other thing. When we think about all this, is it a couple hundred, a couple thousand? Almost a million. Probably more than a million people and all their livestock. Right. This is, I mean, think about how many people that is. How many people, what's the population of Montezuma County? 26,000. Okay. If you look at, I think the population of the front range, Fort Collins down to Colorado Springs, is four or four and a half million people. I mean, think think about the number of people that we're talking about. And then all their goats and sheep and cows, right? And so this rock provides all that water. And it doesn't tell us about that, but think of the volume of water, right? If you ever watched a cow who's thirsty go up to a water trough and drink, it just, it's just amazing. I mean, they can drink 15, 20 gallons. They just suck it up, right? So think of all the water that's coming out of this rock. And it doesn't tell us if it's like a hydrant that turns on and it's this giant stream of water or if when, he, if, if when Moses hit it, this pond just the water just comes up out of the ground. We don't know, but again, God in a miraculous way provides enough water for a million people and their livestock. It just it shows up and everybody gets a drink, um, and it's all going according to the way God wants it to go. Um, and it's you know this this is a good example for us, right? The reason we study the Old Testament is it helps us better understand the New Testament. It shows us. God and how he interacts with his people, how he's faithful and he provides, um, it shows us the consequences of when we're not obedient, right? And it it helps us understand, or it helps me anyway, when I don't do what I'm supposed to, I know what I'm supposed to do, and I still don't do it like I'm supposed to. I know that God still loves me, because here, these people are not being obedient, right? They're demanding, they're being disrespectful, they're quarrelsome, they're not really behaving in the way that they should. And and some people always say, oh, well, you know, if if I saw those miracles, if I saw God part the Red Sea, you know, if, if Jesus appeared to me and I could put my hand in his side and in the hole in his hand, then I would believe. You know, there are people that think that way, but really, that's recorded here for us. And God works in our lives every day to show us the same kinds of ways that he showed people in, in that way. But it, these examples get used, and there, there's a really good example that Paul uses when he writes the letter to the Corinthians. So if you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm going to read the first four verses. So this is in the first letter to the Corinthians, and Paul, right before this in the letter, is encouraging them, using the example of an athlete, about how they're training and how they should work really hard and get themselves ready to do what God calls them to do. And then Paul's going to remind the Corinthians about Old Testament examples. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-4. through For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So Paul here is referencing what we just talked about in the Old Testament during the Exodus. But he's making some comparisons here with Jesus our Savior, right? So... By rights, God could have struck the Hebrew people, right? But what did he do instead? He struck the rock, and the rock gave water, and that physical water saved their physical lives, right? But, but what about Christ? If, if you look at, um, let's, let's look at John chapter 4, and this is when um, Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. And so Jesus is at the well with the Samaritan woman, and and. She's drawing water, and they're talking about physical water, but Jesus wants to talk to her about something else. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. And he's talking about the water from the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So what Paul's talking about to the Corinthians, and what we need to keep in mind, is that Christ is the rock, right? He's the foundation that we're built on. God struck the rock to provide the living water. Christ died on the cross for us to provide us with payment for our sins. His blood washes our sins away, and and we need to remember that. And so as we study these Old Testament passages and we look at these things, it all ties together, the Old Testament and the lessons they're learning, and what God is using with his people. And he does it over a long period of time. We have the luxury where we can sit down and read through these stories and look at these things, right, as we want to go back and reflect on that. But God uses all of that to point to Christ and the living water of the work he does on the cross for us. And that's what we need to remember as, as we go about the things that we do, you know, as we're trying to take care of the things that God wants us to do, and, and we're at a certain point in our life where we want things to happen this way now, and it's not, and we need to back up and, and understand it will happen in God's timing in God's way. And, and, and some of those things you may never see on this earth happen, But the people that you've influenced and the things that you want to happen eventually happen, right? And that's we never know when we we tell people about how we got saved, about why we live the way we do. When we share the gospel with people, um, depending on how many times they've heard it, that might be the first time they've heard it, it might be the tenth time. They may not be in their point in their life where they're really willing to listen and understand, right? Because we're going to read through, you know, we're going to cover Exodus and, and a whole bunch of stuff in the Old Testament. Where the people go in these phases, right? And they're, sometimes they're like they're right now, the story we're reading, where they're disobedient and they're demanding and they're not trusting in God. And then there are other times when they put their whole faith and trust in God. And they're very obedient and they do exactly what God wants and, and everything works out, right? And then there are other times where they're not being obedient and he does, he does destroy some of them. He does kill them because they're not being obedient, right? It's a consequence of happening with that. But I think that's a neat way to tie this story together with the Rock of Horeb where God does provide for their needs is he provided for our spiritual need for our salvation through Jesus Christ who's our rock so before we wrap up does anybody have any questions or comments exactly and journaling is a good thing and, and if you're in a spot where you're, you're feeling like God's picking on you you're not getting what you want it's always a good practice to stop and look back and see the things that he has done because you you are where you are today because of God's will and where he has put you for a specific reason for you and sometimes It's easy for us to figure that out. And sometimes it it takes years, right? And you can look back, and you don't know why this thing happened, but it did. But years later, you, you then understand God had you go through that trial, or God introduced you to that person, or this specific thing happened so that you are prepared to do what God needs you to do today. And we're always blessed, right? Even on your worst day here as a believer, what do you have to look forward to? Heaven, eternal life with God the new Jerusalem, being in God's presence, where, you know, there there are no tears and there, there is no sadness. There's no sin in his presence, right? What's our biggest problem here on earth? Sin, right? Sin and death. There's sin and death here, and that's why this is not heaven, and this is not the place we want to be. And we are strangers here, right? We are aliens. We're, we're here doing what God wants us to do, but we all yearn to go home to that place where we know things will be right again. Things will be the way they are supposed to be. And and we do things, right? I mean, it doesn't just... We don't get up in the morning and there's not manna on our kitchen counter, right? We go to work. We go to the grocery store. But but the we can do all those things because God has provided us with a healthy body, with a job, with a running car, with all the people. Think about, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you grab that box of cereal, think of all the people behind that box of cereal, right? There was a farmer that grew the grain and they had to harvest it and then it goes to the those warehouse. I can't think of what it is. granary, right? And then it goes and it gets gets milled and it goes and it gets processed and gets packaged and a trucker hauls it and somebody puts it on i mean there's there's all of that right if, if if something goes wrong in those steps that box of cereal doesn't show up so it's not directly coming from heaven but god's providing all that god's providing all those people he has is, got it is, she thought of god is the epitome of a good parent and that's exactly what parents do right when when you ask your child to take the trash out and they don't you don't get to kill them right what do you do you you remind them you show them and that's what parents do right and that's what God's doing with us seriously if God wanted to could he not just strike you down he could but he doesn't he's asking you to do what he wants you to do and he understands you may fail but he's not going to let you just lay you know if you choose to lay there and whimper and cry and all that he's going to do something to make that apparent to you that's not what you should do but he's going to give you those chances to go and God loves you and he's going to encourage you and sometimes when we keep failing. It's because what? We're going against God's will. You know? I want to be a pro basketball player. I want to be a pro basketball player. And I keep trying to be a pro basketball player. Well, you know what? I, I, I don't have those genes. I don't have those skills. right? And so God you know, made it clear to me, this is not what you're going to do. This is what you're going to do. And is it always our dream job? No, but it, it provides us what we need to do. And if you think about it, if what you're doing you're good at, it's because God gave you the life experiences and put the people in your life and gave you the opportunities to learn. To do what you do so you can do that in a good way. And when we do that, we should always thank God, right? When we think we're providing it ourselves, you know, Romans 1 is very clear. They quit being thankful to God. And when they quit being thankful and quit worshiping God is when they totally went off the rails and here we are today. So a big key is to be thankful for everything that God provides us. Those are great comments. We'll go ahead and close in prayer. So we can be-